For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soul, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Is everything you possess at God's disposal? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, just thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity we had to gather and to worship. For right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd come calm us, settle our minds, help open our hearts to your word. But I pray we'd be a church and individuals that release everything back to you. Holy Spirit, I pray you just speak to us this morning and take away every distraction. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Is everything you possess at God's disposal? Martin Luther said this. He said, people go through three conversions. The conversion of their head, the conversion of their heart, and then their pocketbook. Unfortunately, not all of them at the same time. And this morning, briefly, as we gather and we look at God's word and as we look to celebrate communion, I want us to say this and understand this, that releasing your hold on God's resources will always leave you rejoicing. Releasing your hold on his resources will always leave you rejoicing. That's not what the people in Malachi's time and the nation of Israel were doing when he wrote this prophecy to them. I don't talk about money much in this church. I don't think I've really spoke on it hardly at all in the four years I've been the pastor. And this is my approach to the money that comes into our church. As we do this, we pray, and we get together as the leadership of the church, and we plan what we think God's calling this church to do, and we put a budget together. And then we put the budget before the church, and we purpose together as a church to say, yes, we agree that this is what we believe God has called us to do, and we commit then to fulfill that budget, and then we just pray some more. That's what we do. That's my whole approach um, to the church's budget. And thankfully, God has blessed our church. We are very close uh, this year to our church's budget. So this message has absolutely nothing to do with the financial state of Cornerstone or for you to give more money to our church. This message is for us to see that releasing your hold on his resources will always leave you rejoicing. Because your perspective on money paves or barricades the way of growth in your relationship 
with God. That's what he's talking about to these people. He says, he's telling them that their perspective and your perspective on money paves or it barricades the way of growth in your relationship with God. You are either clinging on to all your stuff and trying to hold on to it as tightly as you can. Or as a believer, because he's writing to, to the people of God, you are releasing it and constantly just releasing it, which are his resources. And you're finding that what he says is true, that you are rejoicing. But it's your perspective on money. Money is not just cash. We all like cash, but money is everything. Our cars, our houses, our clothes, everything ultimately is in a sense cash because we use cash in some way to buy it. So our view of money paves or barricades the way of your growth in your relationship with God. And these people that Malachi is prophesying to, they had a wrong view of stuff and of money and finances. God says this to them. He starts out with that whole section. He says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you children of Jacob are not consumed. You could also say, it could also be translated that the nation of Israel, that the people of Jacob, they also have not changed. From the days of your fathers, you have, not tur- you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. God is, could be, is saying to them, listen, I'm God, I don't change. And Jacob and the people of Israel, you haven't changed either. Because from the beginning, even with your father Jacob, even when I blessed him, He was always saying, if you do this for me, God, I'll do this. If you do this for me, I will do this. And so the nation of Israel, I have never changed, and apparently you haven't changed either because you are holding back from me what is not yours. God does not change. And your perspective on money will either pave for you or barricade for you growth in your relationship with God because God does not change. The Bible says, God doesn't change. He owns it all. Psalms 50 says, Every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills, and the creatures of the field are mine. The world is mine, and all that is in it. Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. In 1 Chronicles 29, it says, Everything... In heaven and in earth is yours, David was saying to God. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. And after David had called the people of the nation of Israel to give to God in a special offering, and they built the temple, David says this back to God in Second Chronicles twenty nine fourteen through 26. He says, David said, but who am I? And what is my people? That we should be able thus to offer willingly. For all things come from you. And of your own hand we have... Of our... of Excuse me. For all things come from you. And of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow. And there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand, and all is your own. God says, 
He owns everything. Psalms 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. God has not changed. It's all His. God has not changed. He owns it, not Wall Street. God owns everything, not Bill Gates. The creator of the universe owns everything, not the creator of Facebook. Is that your perspective? When you look at your money, and when you look at your stuff, and the things you want and the things you spend your money on, is it your perspective that this is now mine because I purchased it? Or do you say, you know what? You know what? This is all from God. God, you own everything. It's all yours. Because God hasn't changed. And it is all his. Everything that you have is God's. He ultimately owns it, it, it all. God's not changed. And man hasn't changed either. Because we want it all, don't we? Man, in its rebellious state like these people are, they want it all. And these are the followers of God. They are holding back from God. I think there are three ways that people view money and how we handle it. Even as believers, there are people who are believers, or they would say that they're believers, they're nominal Christians, and they are lovers of money. And 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 says this, Listen, but those who desire, it's a big word, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money, but it's the love of money and it's the desire of money and the desire to be rich that it is which is all kinds of evil. This is why. I got to confess, I hope none of you ever win the lottery. I hope none of you ever win the lottery. You say, why? Because for your own soul's sake, I hope you don't hit it big. Because when you do that, you're desiring to be rich. The Bible says those who desire to be rich... They fall into a snare and there's many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You say, that wouldn't happen to me. I'd give it to the church. I don't want it. We don't want it. We really don't. Because if you bought it out of this desire to be rich, this is what's going to take place for you. So that would never happen. Really? To watch the news this week, a guy from Chicago bought a lottery ticket, won it, and he's dead from cyanide poisoning? I think the Bible knows what it's talking about. My desire for you, as much as you hope to win it, is I hope you don't, for your own soul's sake. Because there are people who love, love money. And God says, don't be a lover of money. That's how some people view it. And then there's some people who just view money as they're lost with money. They're absolutely lost with money. They don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to do with it. They don't, they don't learn well with it. They've never been able, even as believers, they've never been able to learn how to handle their money. And it's always a huge problem in their life. That's not God's desire for you as well. And then some people, some believers, are just lazy with money. We think it just happens to us. You know, we get it and we spend it and we're just lazy with it. We never think. We need it to live, so we use it. But we never really think. This is an unbelievable gift that God's given us. How are we using this? 
So I think man wants it all. There's people who just love money. People who are just lost with it. They've, they've never taken the time to figure out how to deal with it and how to handle it. And some are just lazy. They just think it's just going to be there, always going to be there for us. And it's not. And I'm talking to rich people. If you make $1,500 a year, you are richer than 75% of the world. So when I am speaking, and we, when the Bible speaks to us in America, we are, we are the wealthy people. We are rich. Do you want it all? Is it your perspective that it's yours when you get it? It's, it's not God's. It's you've earned it. You struggled. You worked, and you worked, and now it's yours. Well, the truth is it's all going to go back. John Ortberg tells the story of how he used to play Monopoly with his grandma. And his grandma was great at Monopoly. She was cutthroat. You know, she was always beating them in the game. You know, she would get all the hotels, and she would just stomp on his, her grandkids. Well, one day, John Ortberg was playing Monopoly with his grandma, and he won. He beat her, and he was celebrating. And he was just thrilled to death, and he was all excited. And his grandma looked at him and said, you know, that's good, John. But at the end of the day, it all goes back in the box. And it is the same way it is for us. At the end of the day, at the end of our lives, you're not taking anything with you. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. It's all going back in the box. Is that your perspective? Because your perspective on money will either pave the way for you or block the way for you in your relationship with God in a wrong perspective is a barricade. It will block what God wants to do for you and your spiritual goal. That's what happens with these people. That's what happens to the people that Malachi was talking about, and they were stunned by this. They said, listen, God's calling them to return to them. This passage is not about money specifically. It's really about reconciliation with God. And he's saying, if you want to return to me, and they say, how are we not with you? And they, you've robbed me, God says. Verse 10, will man rob God? No. Well, yeah, you are, he said. Yes, you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and contributions. They were ripping God off. These people in the nation of Israel, they had come back after being gone for thousands of years, for hundreds of years. They had come back into the land of promise. They thought now God was going to really work in their lives, and now they're back. They got their little farms. They got their little things growing. Things aren't going well for them. The economy's not good. And they had not been taught well by the priests. The priests had been accepting false false sacrifices, and they thought that they were okay with God. And God says to them, that's not right. You're robbing me. That's a violent word to say that you're robbing somebody. What gall? Have you ever been robbed? We have been robbed about six times in our life. And it is a violent thing when you pull into your car on your, on your way to work and you get in. And you look down at your dashboard, and you see it shattered, and your window broken out because someone tried to steal your car. That's violent. When we were at World Changers a few years ago in Pennsylvania, we had dropped all the kids off 
to go see the Liberty Bell. Me and Dan Ford and a couple others were parking the vehicles. And so it was the middle of the day, extremely hot. We parked the vehicles about a half mile away. And we start walking back up to see the Liberty Bell. And as we're walking, we're thinking, is this a good neighborhood? And all of a sudden, we see these car windows busted out. We think, you know what? We better go move the vehicles. And so as we go back from where we just came, we see more cars that had just been broken into while we were there. And we look up, and we see this guy in a white T-shirt who's walking down the street, looking at cars on the side of the road, taking a, a, some metal object and just smashing windows and grabbing stuff on the seat, walking, smashing windows and grabbing in the middle of the day. In Philadelphia. That's violent. And what kind of thinking do you think you, that is going on in someone's head who thinks that, you know what, I can just walk down here in the middle of the day and take whatever I want? You see, that's unacceptable. And that's what these people, God says, were doing to them. They're away from God. Their view of money had robbed them and barricaded their relationship with God. And God's calling them to repent and return to them. In the Old Testament, there are all kinds of tithes. And there's mentioned before the law, someone gave, Abraham gave 10%. When the law came, there was numerous tithes mentioned. In the New Testament, there is tithes and offerings. And a tithe in the Old Testament is always 10%. But the Bible, some of you need to, does not say in the New Testament that we are to tithe. There is no command that says you are to give 10%. The nation of Israel did it. They actually gave more than that. As you look at all the tithes that they gave, they were giving almost 20% of their stuff back to God. There is no standard, no rule today that says we have to give 10% of our giving. How do you break down the barricade of robbing God? The only way this barricade of robbing down, of robbing God is broken down, is it's only accomplished by re- release and risk. This is what God says in verse 8. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Now listen, if you were these people, you were brought back to this nation, and things weren't going the way you thought it was. You had this little farm, and you had a couple sheep. And somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you're going to bring your, bring your tithe to God? And you look around and you say, are you kidding me? God said that we were his chosen people. God promised that he loves us. And then he let us get a, lose our homeland. Then he brings us back here and he's given us all these promises. And look at me. I'm making less than I ever made in my life. I have less money now than I ever did. And you're telling me that I'm still supposed to give my tithes to God, my one lamb? You expect me to take that lamb and give it to the priests? And they're not even following God. And God says the reason that the people were doing that, and they were doing that, and because of that attitude, 
God says they were cursed. The land was cursed because that was the attitude of the people. They were holding on to it instead of releasing what God had given them. This is about right stewardship. This isn't about a 10% tithe. Some of you have heard all your life, you're supposed to tithe. You're supposed to tithe. Give 10%. Give 10%. It says in the Bible, will a man rob God? And you faithfully write out 10% every single week. And your life's in turmoil. And you're angry, and you're frustrated with God. And you say, I did this, I did this. And I've had people say to them, I've done this, I've done this, I tithe every week, I've done this, and this is what God's given to me. And there is a blockade in people's lives when you think that way. Because it has never been about the 10%. It has always been about who is God. Does he own everything? What's your perspective on money? And will you see it as a stewardship thing and releasing to God? Or will you see it as a cleaving thing and grabbing onto it? The only way you're going to break down that barrier is not trying to figure out what the Bible says. How much do I need to give so that God will give me what I want? If it's 10%, I'll give it, but don't ask me for anything more. The New Testament actually says the standard God, Jesus never says no to the tithe. But in 1 Corinthians, the New Testament says we are to give proportionately from what we are giving. So even more than that, God calls us to see everything as his and to give proportionately to our giving. So if you've been faithfully writing your little tithe check for 10% and you're like, oh, why isn't God blessing me? Because you haven't been living proportionately to how God has been blessing you. If your salary goes up, you're giving should go up in the New Testament. This is, this is risky. And this is releasing what God has given us. Not trying to figure it all out. If your salary goes down, you give proportionately. But you give unbelievably generously, the Bible says. It's about right stewardship. It's not about trying to figure out what specific amount it is. If you want to grow in a deep, loving relationship with God. It is about release and it's about great risk. And God says to this to these people, listen. Put me to the test on this one. The economy's bad, he was telling these people. I know that. You have one sheep when you used to have 50. You had great hopes of buying extra property. I know that. And now your 401k is shot. You, you wanted to get that extra house, but now you never will. Retirement is out the window. I know that. But God says, test me on this one. Test me. Give to me. Bring the full tithe, the full offerings to my storehouse. Risk it. See if I am not who I say I am. See if I'm still not God. Still if I, see if I haven't changed. Put your trust completely in Me. Some of you are just clinging to the tithe, hoping that God will bless you because of it. And God's calling you to say, no, I've proportionally given you so much more, and all you're wanting to do is figure out what you can get from me. Open it up. Release it. 
and risk it and test me on this. See if in 2013, if you don't release it and open it up and test me, if I don't come through for you. Try it. And test me. Breaking down the barrier of robbing God only comes by releasing and risking. 1 Timothy 6, 17-18 says this. As for the rich, listen, as that's us, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is true life. But you say, wait a second, I'm in a real bind here because I've been kind of lovers of money and I've maxed myself out on credit cards. I've been really lazy with my money and I just spend it. I have no idea where it's all going. I'm just kind of lost you know, we are. I, we're lost. I, I, we've, I've struggled and tried to figure out this money thing, but I'm just lost. And you're telling me that I'm, I'm still supposed to release it and give it to God? And then, but I got all these bills. I got all these. Uh, God says, listen, test me on this. Put God first in your giving this year. Release it and risk it and put God to the test and give generously. I'm not just talking to our church. Quite honestly, as a church, this is a little idealistic, I realize, but as a pastor of this church, as the elders, when we agree to a church constitutional budget, and as a church, we say we are, this is what we believe God is going to do for us, I wholeheartedly and expect that that amount will come in. Because we've made a commitment to those needs and to those people's and saying, this is what we believe God called us to give. So I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about releasing your money proportionally to what you've been giving to all kinds of ministries, investing it in what will matter in people's lives, in ministries where things are happening, even in this church and outside this church, not clinging on to it and say, okay, I've given my tithe, and now I just get to buy more stuff. That's not what God's calling us to do. He's saying, listen, I gave you extra money this year. Now, who can you invest it into? Who can you pour it into somebody else's life? So how far can it go? Because I'll use you. Test me on this. You'll be blessed. You will have unbelievable joy if you do that. Don't just say, oh, I've, I've given my amount. Look, my giving statement matches my money. Everybody thinks I'm good. So I can just go buy more things. When God says, our view of money as Christians should be, I'm giving you stuff. Make sure you meet your needs. And as I give you stuff, give it away. And give it away. If you really want joy, give it away. In all kinds of areas of investment for God's glory. That will break down the barricade of you robbing God. And it will accomplish great things in your spiritual life. There will be great joy and, this, and the reason for this, the reason for this, and the reason for our reconciliation is because of the cross. We need to ponder the great price 
of, of the cross. God said this to these people. If you test me, I will do this for you. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soul. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of promise. Historically, that promise is for those people in Israel. God says, if you will quit robbing me and give me what's mine and the ties that I've called you to, I will bless you. And he gave that promise specifically, historically to them. But there is also a future promise for all of us in that passage, which is the cross. In a second, we're going to take communion. God did not come. Jesus didn't come and say to us, I'm not going to release everything for you. I got a lot of stuff. I'm the king of the world. I'm the king of the universe. I'm the creator. I've got grace. I got love. I got joy. I'm filled up with it. But I'm not going to release it all to you. I'm just going to keep a little bit of it. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus came down to earth. He became a man. He took on the form of us. He took all our sin, all our guilt, and he gave it all away. He gave us all his love. He gave us all his grace. He gave us all his joy. And as we ponder the cross, I want you to ponder your pocketbook. Am I clutching to this? Or am I releasing it like Jesus did on the cross? He gave us all of himself. And he says there will be great joy for those who release it and risk it and have that perspective. Randy Alcorn said this, as thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. When God's grace touches you, you can't help but respond with generous giving. You want to know if you've really grasped the power of the gospel, if you really want to know if you've really gotten what Jesus did for you, you'll notice it in your giving. You'll notice it in your view of money. You will release it. You'll constantly be looking for ways to release it and investing it in people that Jesus died for. That's God's grace. Are you on the path? Is your view of money paving a path of you where your relationship with God is growing, you're more joyful, you're more excited? That's what, or are you just barricaded? Because you are so holding on to your stuff and your money because you say, I work for it, it's mine. God says, release it and risk it. So I gave everything for you. And as you do that, you will have joy unspeakable and full of blessing.